Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. If you have reservations somewhere, don't worry. I am, I'm, I've already reformatted in my mind, so it'll be okay, I promise. I want to say thank you to... To Mark and the musicians and to Brandon for being so sensitive, we I've, we needed that, and um, so thank you for for that. We are in the season of Epiphany, and in this season of Epiphany, the emphasis is on God and the message of God and the widespread nature of the message of God, and this will fit perfectly with all that we have heard today and with what you perhaps have decided today. The season of Epiphany is that time during the Christian calendar, during the year, where we make sure that we recognize that it is the desire in the heart of God to show, to make known, to reveal the mission, the heartbeat, the dream of God. And so we have these verses today that have to do with discipleship, discipleship. Now, let's clear up a couple of things. Um, First of all, discipleship, you're being discipled. You're being a disciple. We should make sure that we are all on the same page here. This is not extra credit faith. Right? I mean, discipleship for so many people is that next step, but I'm okay where I am, John. Thank you very much. And where I am is just this place where I have made that decision that secures my eternity. So anything beyond that, I'll get get to that. My life will slow down at some point and I will get to that. Discipleship is not extra credit faith. Discipleship is not optional. You see, I think we have gutted faith when we have made it only about the hereafter. Faith is only about the hereafter to the extent that it's also about the here. That was good. I'm going to say that again because you maybe didn't get that. Faith is only about the hereafter to the extent that you understand that it's about the here. And so your being a disciple should not be up for debate. In fact, here's the question I want to ask you. How is your discipleship going? And the only wrong answer is, I, not, not, not at all. You see, these decisions that we make as we sing and we pray, simple lines like, here's my heart, Lord. Here's my life, Lord. If those things aren't then fortified by a life of discipleship, hear this, if those decisions to be Christian, whether you made them at six years old at church camp or you made them five minutes ago, those decisions to be Christian are immediately in jeopardy. That faith is tenuous at best if there is not a process, a journey, a lifestyle of discipleship that helps you to make good on the yes that you just said. Or the yes that you said so many years ago. I'm super busy to, uh, I'm super busy and I'm not sure that I have the time to dedicate to discipleship. Well, (laughs) 
I don't guess I understand how you understand faith then. Because discipleship, discipleship has to do with following. Now, here, here's something else. Let's, let's get this on the table too. Discipleship has nothing to do with you being your best you, right? We're not trying to add to your skill set, right? You're, we're not going to have a time management class here and call it discipleship. Discipleship has only to do with your capacity to follow along behind this Jesus, but to follow this Jesus so closely that the dust from his sandals gets on your robe. That's how they understood discipleship. How closely are you following? How closely are you following? Have you taken responsibility for that part of your life of faith for which you can take responsibility? Now, if you've been here for any length of time, you know that there's a lot of this that I think you cannot take responsibility for because the thought of a connection between you and God, relationship between you and God, does not start with you. It starts with God, and you cannot take responsibility for that which has already been decided. God wants you. If you said something to God today, you said it in response to the heart of God. Relationship with God is not your idea. It's God's idea to which you respond with a yes or a no. Make some sense? And what we're trying to do as we talk about discipleship, what a disciple's trying to do, okay? A disciple's trying to figure out what it means to be Jesus. Again, discipleship is not this incredible, deep, and hard process whereby we can finally get our act together or finally somehow uh, conform our behavior. It's not about behavior modification. I think that will end up being the, the byproduct. But first and foremost, it's about capturing and being captured by the heart of God that we see most clearly in the person of Jesus. So that you are spending your life doing what God is doing with God's life, no matter where you draw your paycheck. And that's why I think this first story, and we're going to get to the second one, we're going to end up in, in Jonah, in the book of Jonah, but we're going to start with uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John. But I want you to catch something here. This story is not so much about Peter and Andrew and James and John. And I think because we have made it about Peter and Andrew and James and John, we always leave the service after hearing these verses, judging ourselves and the distance between us and Peter and Andrew and James and John, because most of you are not going to leave here quitting your jobs, leaving your families. Yeah, if you sign up to be a disciple, I'm not asking you to follow Simon Peter. In fact, please don't <laughs> emulate Simon Peter. Because if you do, you're going to hurt somebody with a pocket knife at some point. <laughs> the call on your life is not to follow so closely behind Simon Peter that you too would finally end up disowning Christ three times. You're not supposed to follow Andrew. You're not supposed to follow John. You're not supposed to follow James. You only end up following those people to the extent that you recognize that they are following the one that you're following, and that's Jesus. Right? I'm not asking you here today to accept Simon Peter as your personal Lord and Savior and leader and example. That's not the point. And you need to look no further than Simon Peter to figure that out. 
If Simon Peter is your savior, you have issues. <laughs> but the heart of God seen in Christ is on full display here in the book of Mark and in the book of Jonah. Now, after John was arrested, so someone close to Jesus, John was arrested. And John was arrested for doing the exact same things that Jesus is now doing. So in some sense, Jesus is immediately in enemy territory. He came to Galilee proclaiming, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Now, that may be surprising, recognizing that Jesus just saw someone very close to him arrested, and Jesus probably has in mind that John's not gonna get out of prison. In fact, Jesus may have in mind that in following John's footsteps, he may too face some resistance and may put his own life in danger. And so it just stands to reason that he would walk around and say, here's the good news. So here he is in enemy territory saying, the heart of God is so big that even you're arresting my friend and even you're arresting and perhaps putting him to death and me to death, even that will not keep me from saying to you, God loves and wants you. And he's saying all of this in enemy territory. Well, at least where some people are concerned, enemy territory. This sermon can get personal a couple times. Here's the first one. Buckle in. Where sometimes you and I might have this concept of enemy territory, God does not consider your enemies to be God's enemies. Just because they're your enemies doesn't mean they're God's enemies. And folks that are your enemies, well, that may be on you. As Jesus passed along, he saw, along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea. I love this. For they were fishermen. Just in case you're wondering why these people were throwing nets into the sea. Wonder no longer, they were fishermen. Oh, okay. So this was their place of work, and Jesus said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fish for people, and by the way, all kinds of people. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. But again, your eyes should not be trained on Simon, Peter, and Andrew at this point and their capacity to leave their jobs. It should be, your eyes should be trained on the person of Christ and your ears trained for the message of Christ, which is repent and believe the kingdom has come near and we need more help in fishing for people. He went a little farther and he saw James, son of Jebedee, and his brother John who were in their boat mending the nets Immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Mark loves the word immediately, immediately, immediately. But you see this word immediately, right? And if you are impressed with the disciples and their uh, capacity to make immediate changes, you're missing the point. The call of God is that good. And the call of God comes to you just as it comes to Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And yes, you will have the opportunity and you have the responsibility to respond. But the point here is not to match your life up with the likes of Simon and Andrew and James and John. The point of your discipleship is Jesus. That's it. That doesn't necessarily make it any easier, does it? <laughs> but the point of your life the point of your discipleship 
is Jesus. Now, our staff, we, we have meetings every week, and at times, part of what we do, what's on the agenda, especially when we go to lunch, Jason will look at me and he'll say, okay, John, tell us what's in the news this week. <laughs> and so I do. I, 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 I don't know. I don't know what that means. I watch the news. I try to listen for the news. I try to piece it all together. And so here is your international news update for this week. It turns out that ISIS is still in power in Mosul. Matter of fact, most recently, you probably have heard this, that they either have or have had two prisoners from Japan. And it's possible that they have already beheaded, decapitated one of them in the hopes of extorting $200 million from the government of Japan. What else? Here's, here's the other thing you might have heard this, this week. But the Iraqi army and the American army are now in maneuvers, practicing, getting ready, plotting and scheming to take Mosul back. Mosul. The Bible knows of this Mosul place. The ancient term for Mosul is Nineveh. So here, here you have these, these ISIS folks. They are uh, they're dangerous, but beyond that, they're horrifying, aren't they? Now, you're aware of this too, right? These are the people who have launched an all-out assault on Christianity, And by all accounts, there have been women and children who have been decapitated simply because they're Christian. Just to give us some context for the book of Jonah, (laughs) ask yourself this question. What if the heart of God were to come to you and say, hey, you remember that story about Jonah and Nineveh? Well, Nineveh's now Mosul. And you know that whole thing about the the Assyrians? Well, now the Assyrians, it's ISIS. And here's what I want you to do. I've got this great idea, says God, his heart just pounding all over the place. God says, okay, my heart is such that I want you to go to Mosul and preach the good news to the people of ISIS in the hopes that the people of ISIS can be reclaimed. If you're offended, you don't read scripture well. Because what I've just laid out for you is in fact the exact storyline of the people of God. Is it any wonder then that when God comes to Jonah and says, got an idea. God says, my heart is so big, Jonah, I want you To go to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, I want you to go there and I want you to preach to that, here's what it said twice in the book of Jonah, I want you to preach to that great city, great city. (laughs) I want you to tell them to repent and change their ways so that all can be brought in, so that all can be redeemed, so everything can be salvaged and saved. I want you to do that. Is it any wonder now, knowing what we do? Is it any wonder that rather than obeying the call of God, here's what Jonah does. He buys a ticket on a cruise ship and goes as far, at least his intention is, to go as far as he can to the outer regions of the known world. God wanted him to go a little bit east, so he went as far west, or tried to at least, as far west as he could, 
to a resort. Now along the way, pretty nasty storm kicked up. So bad that the folks on the ship, the passenger ship, recognized that this is no, this is no ordinary storm. Some huge higher power is up to something and Jonah sheepishly raises his hand and says, I, I, I think it's me. I think it's me, and he said, I think if you'll throw me over, you'll be fine. They throw him over, and they're fine. Now, according to the imagery and the artistry of the book of Jonah, Jonah plunges down to the deep. And it's almost as if now all the seaweed and the vegetation underwater, it's as if all of that is... is collaborating to pull him down to death and the depths. And then God sends rescue in the form of what? Yeah, a whale or a big fish or something like that. And it's interesting, right? It's interesting. We almost think of this whale as punishment. But Jonah, if you read it, Jonah actually sees this whale as rescue. And so, (laughs) rescued as he is from drowning, the fish, what's the... What's the, what's the word here? I want to use as gentle a word as possible. The fish upchucks him onto the, the beach there. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, get up, go to Mosul, that great city, And proclaim to it the message that I tell you or that I have told you. Now again, how would you feel? You have seen the images. And you can find online the horrifying images that you can't see on the news. How would you feel? The Assyrians were brutal people. In fact, if you were to look up brutal peoples (laughs) on the Googles, what you would find is that the Assyrians were amongst the most brutal people in all of history. I was going to tell you some of the things that they would do to their prisoners or their enemies, and I got to tell you, it's, it's too bad. It's too gruesome. It's actually worse than what we see and hear about ISIS. And who knows, perhaps Jonah would have been aware of some of the first and last names of people who were treated thusly. Maybe Jonah knew firsthand the pain and the agony of the terrorism of Assyria, especially in the capital city, that great city, Nineveh. What is God thinking? Sending me there, but apparently I have to go or else something else bad will happen to me. And so he goes. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was huge. Three days walk across, maybe about 60 miles or so. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's walk and he cried out. <laughs> not, perhaps not quite the message that God wanted him to cry out. Forty days more and Nineveh is going to be wiped out. Wiped out. 
And the people of Nineveh believed God, and they proclaimed a fast. Everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth, even their animals, by the way. And Jonah was angry because God did, in fact, change his mind. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. And Jonah's response was, oh, God, you are a gracious God. How cool you are to forgive these angry, hateful, nasty people who killed my friends and family. Jonah is not a great news It's not a book containing great news for Jonah. And it is aimed at people who don't understand the heart of God. Hear this. The book of Jonah is written and aimed at people who, by the practice of their faith, underappreciate and underembody the heartbeat of God. The book of Jonah is written for people who want to be people of faith and claim to know where the enemies are and know where the enemy territory is. The book of Jonah is meant to say to you and everybody like you, God does not acknowledge your sense of enemy territory because guess what? God loves them as much as God loves you. Jonah might have been obedient But Jonah is not a disciple. Because disciples are more than just obedient. Disciples follow so closely to the master that sooner or later it's not just the dust that gets on my robe. They follow so close to the master that without my knowing it, And without my being able to do anything about it, sooner or later, the heart of the master becomes the heart of the follower. It gets pretty sad in chapter four. Through gritted teeth, (laughs) through gritted teeth, Jonah says this, Now, this is after he had gone out to the edge of the city, perhaps not believing that the people would actually make good on their promises to change their ways. He goes out to the edge of the city to get a bird's eye view of, I don't know what, maybe the the lightning and the thunder and the the fiery rocks, I don't know. But he goes goes out there to get a, a nice view of what he believes will be the destruction of Nineveh. And then he's disappointed when it doesn't happen because Jonah has figured out a way to hate people which means he does not know God. You see, God, this is why I fled to Tarshish in the first place, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. I knew you would do this, God. You're just so like this. Yeah, but you and I are supposed to be like this too.
This is, in the eyes of Jonah, an unreasonable love that God has for these awful people. Yeah, that's what you and I are supposed to be like too. In fact, here's what we'll call, here's what we'll call that process whereby you learn to love those that God loves. We're gonna call that discipleship. In fact, discipleship may be more than that. There may be other things that we will say and do where discipleship is concerned. Hear this. But discipleship is at least that. And if it is not at least that where you're concerned, what you're doing is not discipleship. It may be habit forming, but it's not necessarily discipleship because discipleship at its core is your stubborn belief that God's stubborn belief (laughs) that all of creation can be redeemed because God loves all of creation. It's your stubborn belief that someday you can take that on as a life's message, as an inheritance, and participate with God in the redemption of all creation. And discipleship is at least that. And one of the greatest voices, and you'll hear me reference this person, this author, time and again, because I'm just so captured by the imagination of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who, by the way, was in a position to have to think through these things and do some of these same things because he was in Germany watching as the church did not stand up to Hitler. And he proclaimed that if people had been better disciples, maybe things could have been different. This is God speaking now. Discipleship is not limited to what you can comprehend. (laughs) It must transcend all comprehension. Plunge into the deep waters beyond your own comprehension. And I, God says, I will help you to comprehend even as I do. Jonah could not get there and perhaps, perhaps dies without ever getting there because I don't know if you've noticed this, this, but the end of the book of Jonah, it does not end well for Jonah. It ends with Jonah in anguish, angry at God because he does not share the heart of God. And I know a lot of people who will die in that same place. Discipleship is the means whereby you take on the heart of God even if it means, to grit your teeth, everybody, even if it means loving your enemies or loving our enemies. My favorite quote regarding discipleship from Bonhoeffer is this one. Discipleship is not an offer that man makes to Christ. Christ. Tell you what, God, I'll give you a whole bunch of me. No, no, no. Discipleship is not an offer that man makes to Christ. Discipleship is not an offer that a woman would make to Christ. It's not an offer that anybody of any age would make to Christ. It's just not the way it goes. Discipleship is an offer that comes to you. 
So what do you say? Do you have any interest in taking on the heart of God? Because it might mean that you end up (laughs) evacuating from your vocabulary terminology like enemy territory. Oh, John, I need my enemy territory because it helps me to know who's us and who's them. Well, what if the heart of God is that we would all be us? Discipleship is not an offer that man makes to Christ. It is this kind of offer that's made to you every week now. Please don't miss the fact that these are symbols of agony and pain meant to demonstrate not so much, okay, now God is no longer angry at you because we have the sacrifice. It's not that so much. These are symbols of agony meant to demonstrate to you this is the extent to which the love of God will travel to prove this love. And we eat and drink in the hopes that over a period of time, we too might be able to develop the heart of God within this process that we're going to call discipleship so that someday we too can understand and embody love that looks like this, that is willing to suffer to make love's point. So if you come to the table today to eat and to drink, I hope you will find here the nourishment to consider that it may be time to lose the concept of enemy territory. If, in fact, you have in mind this concept called discipleship, whereby you would take on the heart and the dream of God. If you're helping us with communion, if you will go ahead and come on. And uh, we are in faith, trusting and believing that we can do this even though Jason is sick today. So thank you, Aaron and Brittany, for helping us. In a moment, if you would like to take communion, we're gonna ask you to stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and then come forward, and you will come forward and approach someone who has a plate full of bread. If you will go ahead and cup your hands, then that person will press a small piece of bread into your hands and say to you, the body of Christ broken for you, And you should understand that to be the grandest and greatest statement of love that can be made to you this day. The body of Christ broken for you. And then take that piece of bread right then and there and dip it into the cup. There'll be someone standing right there holding a cup. When you do, that person will say, and the blood of Christ shed for you. Hear that as another statement that will be the grandest statement of love made to you today. Broken body, shed blood. Heavenly Father, bless these elements and use them, God, to shape us to be your people. Use these elements, God, to shape our hearts, shape our minds and our imaginations so that we cannot be Jonah, but so that we can be Christ. Shape our minds and our hearts and imaginations, Lord. Not so much so that we can be just like Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, but so that like those men, we can be like Jesus. 
Use these elements, God, and shape our concept of love. Shape our concepts of words like us and them. So that, God, somehow we can participate with you in the redemption of all creation, even those that we have called enemy, even those that we have seen do damage. elements, Lord, to shape us so that we might be mistaken for Christ himself. All are eligible to participate in this ritual, in this meal. All who acknowledge their need, all who acknowledge their need of love so that you can be people of love, all are welcome at this table. And yet you do not have to participate. If hearing what you've heard today, you would say, I am not in good conscience and in all honesty, I am not ready to allow that definition of love to be my definition of love. And for those reasons, I choose not to participate. I honor, we honor your integrity. You will not be compelled to participate. But we do hope that you'll keep coming to this campfire in the hope that someday you'll be warmed and would develop this ravenous appetite for the heart of God. If you can't come to us, then Brittany will come to you. Just make sure that she sees you and she will find you. Otherwise, all across the sanctuary, all who are willing and able, would you now stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left, and come and receive these challenging elements of faith.
take these few moments now would you somehow remind us how desperately important it is that we would pray for our enemies and let that serve as a tool to measure the distance between your heart and our hearts so church where you are would allow the God of the universe to identify for you those that you perhaps have called enemy, you understand to be enemy, and may we practice right now praying for their good. God, build, grow, expand, deepen, soften my heart 
so that I can pray that prayer without gritting my teeth. sick, those you know to be hurt, those in need of healing, even if it's a relational kind of healing, not just a physical healing, but pray for those in need, the touch of God. struggling with the flu, pray for Jason and all those like him. Restore them quickly. Restore Megan Hodge. Restore all of those in and outside of our fellowship who are rehabilitating. In fact, God, we would pray that you would use us in the process of rehabilitation and not just for individual lives, certainly that, but Households Use us to rehabilitate households, cities, nations. Use us, your disciples. So that, God, we can more and more and more deeply pray this prayer that you taught your disciples to pray. May this, as we pray it, become our prayer. So church, I would encourage you now to pray this prayer along with me. And we'll use debts and debtors. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Like us on Facebook at Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene. Or follow us on Twitter at OKC First Church.